Welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes. I am a Catholic lay missionary here in the Philippines and I will be your host here today. In this episode, I'd like to talk more on the meaning of marriage. So a couple episodes back, I had a guest join me. His name is Jay Aruga. He is a fellow podcaster like I am and he speaks about conservative values. So when I had him on, I had him share about that and tell us about what he means when he says that he's a conservative and what are certain conservative views that we have here in the country. And what we did is we focused on a specific subject, the subject of marriage. And the way we, that we the way that we talked about it back then was we focused more on making an argument for the institution of marriage, the traditional meaning of marriage that inclines more toward the secular side. I didn't want to appeal to the Bible or to church teaching because that's his style. He wants to reach people who wouldn't necessarily rely on the Bible or on church teaching as authoritative, who don't even recognize those as authoritative. However, that doesn't then mean that the Bible or the church, for that matter, doesn't have anything substantive to say about marriage. And that is what I'd like to explore at least a little bit for today. If you are new to this, please do give us a follow and you may join our Facebook group, Not So Secular Discussions and Questions, if you want to get more involved in what is up. With all that said, let's get started. Marriage is a big deal in the church. Now, from the perspective of an average person, that might not be so obvious because the church leaders, the priests, the bishops, and even the Pope himself, they are not married. So, how can you say that marriage is a big deal in the church? Hindi ba siya parang secondary lang? Or isn't it, you know, it doesn't, don't these people come after the priests or the clergy who are not married and well there is some truth into that if you're talking about like the teaching magisterium the teaching authority of the catholic church as a whole however the church values marriage very much and the way that other teachers have explained this is you know you will see the value of of the sacrifice based on the value of what is sacrificed. So, for example, if I say that oh, I, I sacrificed 20 pesos for me to be able to be with you, to spend time with you, that would, that would be different compared to, say, oh, I, I sacrificed two hours of my time to travel to get here as well as my my pamasahe, you know, my commuting fare to be able to get here, which is around, what, 200 if you ride something like P2P plus the jeepney and the tricycle and whatever. And, you know, that means more than just sacrificing 20 pesos plus a five-minute walk. The value of what is sacrificed is what determines the value of the sacrifice as a whole. And you could say that for the priests because they sacrifice marriage to be able to pursue that kind of vocation doesn't speak to the you know the value of marriage being less but the value of marriage being more and in their vocation they are actually living out marriage the, the commitment of marriage just in a different way instead of being committed in in that way to a person they are committed to the church they are committed to their congregation they are committed to 
the Lord. And again, marriage is a big deal when it comes to the church. In fact, if you were to look to the Bible, to the scriptures, you could trace the story of the scriptures through the theme of marriage. What am I talking about? Well, the very first page, if you open it, you are introduced to creation. And then the the first two people who are created in the image and likeness of the Lord, they are Adam and Eve, and they are quite literally made for one another. The Bible begins with a marriage, and it is emphasized, you know, it's emphasized. It is not good for man to be alone. Over and over, in the beginning, it says, God created this, and he saw that it was good. God created that, and he saw that it was good. God created this, and he saw that it was good. But the first thing that God points out as not good is that man was made to be alone. And so he creates a partner suitable for him. And that is what happens. You know, the Bible begins with marriage. You see, the Bible also ends with marriage. If you go to Revelation, the way that it describes the new heavens and the new earth is with Christ as the groom and the church as his bride and this unity, this union as they are reunited with one another after the fall, after sin, after judgment of the fall and the sin. And uh, this eventual union is described through the language of marriage. If you were to go to the middle of the Bible, you find the Song of Songs, which is quite literally a love song between two people man and woman who are lovers who are chasing after one another and it's a very beautiful and poetic description of of this kind of of love that longs and desires and commits one self and if you go to the story of Israel God's chosen people it is described as a marriage relationship a covenant i am yours you are mine i will be your god and you will be my people It's an exchange of persons. And if you look at Israel's unfaithfulness when they start worshiping other gods, it's described as a form of adultery. And so this this theme of marriage is everywhere. It's everywhere in the scriptures. And if you were to go to the the Gospel of John, Jesus' first miracle happens in a wedding, the wedding at Cana. And so marriage is a big deal in the scriptures. And this is where a lot of John Paul, Pope John Paul II's teachings on the theology of the body come from, his reflections and his teachings on it. And he talks about how Christ appeals to the beginning. That's one part of the theology of the body. He describes marriage as a primordial sacrament, not just a sign of God's love, but the sign of God's love. It is essentially tied into our understanding of who we are because he talks about having an adequate anthropology, a proper understanding of human beings. And for us to be able to understand what we are, the reason why he's talking about understanding human beings is because if we understand what we are, we could understand what we are for. And so he he, he points toward how we could understand ourselves based on marriage because it seems like We are made to be a gift. You know, we are made to make a gift of ourselves for others. And this is seen very much in the covenant, in the commitment of marriage. Marriage has meaning. It is not a mere human invention. So if you were to read from Humanae Vitae, paragraph 8, this was written by Pope Paul VI, 
It says, marriage then is far from being the effect of chance or the result of the blind evolution of natural forces. It is, in reality, the wise and provident institution of God the Creator whose purpose was to effect in man his loving design. In the Catechism, paragraph 1603, it says, God himself is the author of marriage. The vocation to marriage is written in the very nature of man and woman, as they came from the hand of the Creator. Marriage is not a purely human institution, despite the many variations it may have undergone through the centuries in different cultures, social structures, and spiritual attitudes. Why am I emphasizing this? Why am I reading these to you? Because one of the criticisms in our time today is that you know marriage is nothing more than a piece of paper. That marriage was just invented by people, invented by society. For what purpose, if I may ask, if you may ask? Some of the progressives or the wokes might say that it's used for power, right? to consolidate power. Because when you when you get married, one of the ways that different tribes in, in, in the before times right? would, would consolidate their power is by marrying off their children, the prince and the princess. That's a classic story, right? when it comes to when it comes to some of the some of the fairy tales and the media that we consume. And oftentimes yung arranged marriage yon is made out to be the enemy, because that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to chase after the one that you love. And so marriage is an institution used to consolidate power. What else? It's it's for politics, right? which is connected to the power dynamic that we are talking about. So there's power, there's politics. Some would say even possessions, because when you get married, you start sharing one another's possessions. It falls under one family name, and suddenly your assets are tied with one another. And this is part of the reason why, why separated couples would want to get an annulment or would want to get divorced because it's good to separate the assets if you're no longer together. And so we have power, politics, possessions, and the last thing is the patriarchy because some people say that marriage is all about the patriarchy, making sure that the head of the household is the man, exerting his power over the woman and the children and so on and so forth. And so this is these are the, the criticisms of our time when it comes to marriage. And so some people would like to remake marriage, redo marriage, our understanding of marriage. However, what the church points out to us is that marriage wasn't just something that was invented by people. And so it cannot be just something that is changed by people, you know, just like that with a snap of your finger. It doesn't work that way. And in fact, I was listening to this one podcaster who talks about this also, and the way that he described it is that it wasn't society that decided to invent marriage one day. Rather, it is marriage that started to form societies. Because we, before we even started interacting and teaming up with people that we didn't know, we, the first bonds that we had were with our families, with partners, as in sexual partners and um, romantic partners, if you want to put it that way. And it is those families when it started growing and then suddenly you started getting involved with other families as well. And those clans turned into tribes and it turned into villages and so on and so forth. It was marriage that formed societies, not societies that invented marriage. Reading again from church documents from Gaudium et Spes, 
paragraph 47, it says, The well-being of the individual person and of human and Christian society is intimately linked with the healthy condition of that community produced by marriage and family. And this is the reason why marriage is a big deal also politically, right? Because marriage is marriage and the family is what makes up a society, not society that makes up marriage, okay? And so that is why you have issues that are brought forward socially, politically, that are connected to marriage, whether that's about divorce or abortion and contraception even, because we now we have reproductive health laws and so on and so forth. But before we even deal with these issues in our society, talking about it as if it was just uh, something that we invented or came up with, well... We have to understand that marriage itself has meaning and that is why we cannot just modify it to our own desires. Notice now when we're talking about when we're talking about, for example, same-sex marriage, we're not asking may they get married as if we're just asking for permission. No, it's can they get married? Are they eligible for marriage? Based on how we understand marriage, can these two people get married? And that is what annulment is all about. When annulment recognizes that the marriage did not take place in the first place from, from the very beginning. And that is the difference between annulment and divorce. When we're talking about divorce, you are recognizing that the marriage happened and now it's over as if it ends. But when you're talking about annulment, you are trying to identify, were there some reasons from the very beginning that made the marriage null? That shows to us that the marriage wasn't even there from the first place. Because there were some factors that weren't considered or certain situations, circumstances that weren't noticed right away. So for example, one example of that is coercion. If one party was coerced by the other party to get married because of some sort of hostage situation, it, it the marriage would not be valid because it would not be freely given, freely committed to. So these are some of the things that we, we want to pay attention to and we want, we want to look at. And so what is the purpose of, of marriage? What is it for? And this is something that I mentioned also in, in our previous episode. And I want to reference this time from the Catechism, paragraph 1601, so that it's more accurate. It says, The matrimonial covenant by which a man and a woman establish between themselves a partnership of the whole life is by its nature ordered toward the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring. This covenant between baptized persons has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. And so, there are two things that are pointed out there. By its nature, marriage is ordered toward, one, the good of the spouses. I think last time I mentioned sanctification of the spouses. Good of the spouses is much simpler. So, first one is the good of the spouses. The second one is the procreation and education of children. I think it's the second point, the procreation and education of children. We were able to discuss about that um, thoroughly already in my episode with Jay. That was what we focused on more, that not all marriages lead to kids, but all kids have parents. All kids belong to marriages, or at least they should belong to marriages. And part of the reason behind protecting the sanctity of marriage is to protect the kids who are innocent. You know, even if the, the mom and the dad, they have troubles and they have problems with one another, the kids are outside of that. Or at least they should not be 
dragged into that. And yes, of course, given the circumstances, they, they're, they're born into these different situations. But of course, we want to protect them the best that we can so that we could raise them well. The first part, however, the good of the spouses, what is this all about? Well, Jordan Peterson, I, I listen to him also, uh, he articulates this very well. He talks about committing for life to another human being. Why? Because it's, it's like shackling yourself to another person. The thing about two people being together is that there's no such thing as a completely compatible set of partners, right? As if you're not going to have any problems or disagreements. It doesn't work that way because with yourself, you learn new things about yourself as you go and you recognize some stuff. I haven't realized that about myself. Sometimes we say these things about ourselves. And as we're learning more about ourselves, what more? What more are partners? What more other people? And so there are other things that maybe we didn't, we weren't able to take into consideration with the other person, even the person that we married, that we find out later on. And there are some, you know, disagreements and um, different values and different priorities that you might need to consider as you go along the way. And sometimes you have to fight it out. You have to argue about it. You have to talk about it, discuss. How should we square this? How do we unite this with one another? And those shackles, quote unquote, those bonds that you have formed with one another is what keeps you there because it's always easier to leave. When you're with someone that you're not getting along with, it's always easier to leave. But if you don't have the option of leaving, if you close that door voluntarily, then you are forced to stay, you're obliged to stay, and make the situation better, which is more hard work, but it pays off. Because what happens is that you grow. What happens is that the other person grows. If you both commit to what you are into, commit to... Your, your situation, you being spouses, diba? the only option aside from leaving is to make the situation better and to make one another better. And of course, you can't just make someone be better. And so the next best thing is to make yourself better because you, are, you have more influence over yourself than your partner. And that is part of what we mean when we talk about the good of the spouses. The spouses or the marriage is supposed to be making the spouses holier, making the spouses better versions of themselves in the process. Now, I understand that I'm talking about this, you know, idealistically, this is how it's supposed to be, but we have different experiences and circumstances and no, Mon, you don't understand. This is what's happening in my life. This is what's happening in my parents' life. And at least I'm talking about this in an, in an ideal situation. And it's not bad to have ideals. Ideals are what helps us visualize what it could be like, what we could work toward. And so it's not bad that we're talking about ideals. And these, these two purposes of marriage for the good of the spouses and the procreation of, and education of children are worthy, worthy purposes to pursue. These are, these are good things that we should, that we should go after. And so how does this happen? How does this happen in a marriage? So there are four elements of marriage as it is typically taught when we're talking about it in church. I believe Pope Paul VI also elaborates on this on Humana Vitae. But those four elements are these, okay? It's free, it's total, it's faithful, and it's fruitful. What do we mean by that? Free, it's consensual, okay? 
based on the act of the will. It is voluntarily entered into. You can again, you cannot be coerced into marrying someone just because you were obliged or you were forced or anything like that. It has to be a gift of the will. That's free. Second is total. It means full, impartial. It has no deadlines, no schedules, right? When, when we were talking to Father Michael, the, the priest who, who officiated our, our wedding, that one of the first things that he asked us is, how long do you plan to stay married? And of course, that was a trick question because the answer is you should stay married forever until uh, death do you part. And so that is part of what it means. So it's, it, it has no deadline. Hindi siya nire-renew. Hindi siya parang, okay, sige, let's get married for the first three years. And then after that, let's see if we will renew our contract. No, it has to be the total giving of yourself. It has no schedules. It's not scheduled in the same, in, in a manner na parang, okay, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, you have me. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, I'm with my other wife or I'm with my other husband. And it doesn't work that way. It's not for convenience or for pleasure. The, the idea of marriage is it's meant to train you to make a gift of yourself. And when you make a gift of yourself, it is total. So it's free. It's total. Number three, it is faithful. It is exclusive. It is loyal. Right? You are supposed to be married to only one person. It is monogamous. It is not meant to be with many different people that are you know, scheduled, like, like connecting it to the example that we gave Kanina as a total. It is meant to be faithful. Okay, And the last one is fruitful. And this is connected to being open to life and um, life as in... Um, being open to having kids and uh, life also in the sense, you know, if you if you want to talk about it in a more metaphorical sense, as in, does it bring life to you and your partner and the people around you? Does, does it benefit um, your your surroundings, your family, your community? It has to be fruitful. And these are the things that we want to train ourselves in as we enter into marriage and it's a very real experience of God's love. You know, that, that's one of the things that that Pope John Paul II talked about. Marriage is a very real experience of God's love. Because when you give yourself fully, wholly, when you commit yourself in a total, free, faithful, and fruitful manner, you get a glimpse of how Jesus loves you. Because in the same way, He did what he did for you on the cross and in his life. When he incarnated here on earth, when he gave himself up, he gave it freely. It was an act of the will. He wasn't forced. He didn't have to do it. And yet he chose to do it for your sake, for our sake. It was free. It was total, even to the extent of giving his own life. He didn't hold anything back. He is faithful. He is the faithful human being. He did not sin. He did not... He did not he didn't deserve what happened to him. We were the ones who deserved that. And yet, he was willing to see it through for us. And the last one is, it is fruitful. Because the love that Jesus offers is not self-centered. It's not self-exalting. It, 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 it fulfills you. It fulfills the self. But the reason why it fulfills the self is so that the self could make a gift for others. And so marriage in these ways are a very real experience of God's love here on earth. 
And so that is most of what I wanted to share to you this episode. I hope this was helpful for you. If any of you are looking into marriage or have been married for a while, I'm sure there are a lot of more like specific, practical, pastoral applications that you could take a look at. And I would very much recommend that you look at other resources. Jason Everett talks about this. Um, the Theology of the Body Institute is a great resource. Also, another podcast that you might be you might be interested in is Langa Speaks. So they talk about this also. They talk about marriage, family, and faith. And um, they're, they're a very good um, resource. They're, they're, very good. they're very good people. They're also with the Feast. And um, uh, I, I, I like listening to some of their episodes too. I guess one of the things that are important to think about or consider also is that as you are part of a family if it was if it's just you and your your spouse or you your spouse and your kids it's it's very helpful to have connection to a community to be part of a church to have other people who are journeying with you helping you understand and process what you're experiencing an outside perspective who wants what is best for you who will help you journey through this difficult thing and that that's the thing diba um just because it's difficult doesn't mean that it's bad. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's harmful. Something could be hard but beneficial for you. And that is the idea behind purification. <laughs> when you get purified by fire, fire is hot. Fire burns. But if everything that is unnecessary, everything that is that is not of the Lord gets burned away into the process, well, it becomes worthwhile and it becomes worth pursuing. And that is part of what marriage is for. Marriage trains us to love. And again, going back to the definition of, of being good for the spouses, um, marriage should help us become better people as we relate with the other people whom we are not married to because we become trained in making a gift of ourselves with this one person in a free, total, faithful, and fruitful manner. We also get to do that in a different way with our friends and with our family and with our community. And so let's think about this. Let's pray about this. And I, I would very much, again, recommend that you get connected with other people who could help you along the way as we get to understand more and as you discern more if you're not yet married because maybe you're being called to a different path altogether. Anyway, that is it for our episode for today. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. I hope you learned something. Share this with a friend if you think they would benefit from something like this. Also, that is it for today. See you next episode. Bye.